Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, and welcome to Ebenezer and our Summer Classic Series. My name is Cal, and I have the privilege of serving on the staff team here. Now, over these summer months, we are taking a look at some of the so-called classic stories and episodes of Scripture. Now, if you're like me, these are stories you're probably familiar with. You probably first heard them as a child. These are stories filled with excitement and action and drama. They have heroes, and in some cases, even villains. And many times, there's the miraculous. These stories are actually the stuff of major Hollywood movies. Now, if these stories are already familiar to you, then I hope we see them through some fresh eyes, perhaps even a fresh heart. But if you're not familiar with these stories, then I hope and pray that these stories will fill you with wonder and awe, not only at the episodes of Scripture, but wonder and awe of this amazing God that we worship and we love. These stories ultimately reveal the very nature and character of the God of the Bible, And it is God we want these stories to point you to. This morning, we're going to take a look at another, I think, familiar story in Scripture. And it is the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, how many of you are familiar with with the basic bones of this story? Now, if you are familiar, I hope, as I mentioned, that we can look at it with some fresh eyes and see what God might say to us as we examine this incredible miracle. But if this story is not familiar to you, I trust God will reveal himself in a very special way this morning. Now, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 is actually one of the few stories recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each Gospel writer brings a different facet to the story. Now, for this morning, we're going to take details from all four records, but our focus will be on Mark's account. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Mark chapter 6. Now, let's start with a summary version of this story, in uh, a version that we may have heard when we were younger. Now, Pastor Kelly last week referenced the Saddleback Kids ministry pictures uh, when he spoke on the prodigal son. And Saddleback also has a short video of Jesus feeding the 5,000. So let's take a look at that video version. Stories of the Bible. Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is Jesus. hey Who is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. While Jesus was on earth, He taught everyone about God's love. He did many miracles and healed people of their sickness. Oh, hey, everyone! A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. A crowd started to gather around Jesus. There were 5,000 men and many more women and children. Turning to Philip, he asked, Hey, Philip! Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? You see, Jesus was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Um... Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew spoke up, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. 
But what good is that with this huge crowd? Jesus said, tell everyone to sit down. Bye, everyone. Sit down. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and gave them to the people. Here you go. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. Want some more? I'm all good, thanks. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. You guys. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves and two fish. Not too bad, right? I, I mean, yes, it's short on details, but I think it captures at least the main points. Now, again, if you're not familiar with this story, I hope that this short kids version at least piques your interest. So before we begin, what do you think this story is really about? Now, if you've heard this story as a kid, like I have, there are probably some main themes or lessons that were repeated every time this lesson was told. First, the miracle itself. How in the world did Jesus feed this multitude of people with only five loaves and two fish? Or maybe the emphasis was on the compassion of Jesus as the story says how Jesus had compassion on the people when he saw them. Or perhaps a key lesson you've learned from this story is the generosity of the young boy who was willing to share his small, meager lunch with those who are around him. Now, these are amazing lessons, but I'm not sure that they are the main lesson from this story. I would suggest that there's something deeper we can and we should grasp from this familiar story, and it's this. I believe this story points us, quite simply, to the presence of Jesus and his longing and desire to be with his people. Now, I understand that that lesson or focus isn't as exciting as the miracle that Jesus performed. It's not as sentimental as his compassion for the people, nor is it as heart-tugging as the young boy's generosity and sacrifice. However, I believe that the presence of Jesus, his desire to be with his people, is a needed truth we all need to hear and a truth we need to experience today, no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, and no matter where we might find ourselves in the circumstances of life. And from this incredible account of Jesus feeding the multitudes, I want to draw our attention to four facets of what the presence of Jesus is and why it is important in our lives. I also want to pose a response question for each facet of Jesus uh, for each facet of Jesus' presence, for us to linger on and the implications for our lives. And I pray that when we consider how we respond to these questions, each and every one of us will long for a greater presence of Jesus in our lives. Now, I'll recount the story by reading it from the message, uh, because that translation is actually reads, reads more story-like. So Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30 from the message. The apostles then rendezvoused with Jesus, and reported on all that they had done and taught. Jesus said, Come off by yourselves. Let's take a break and get a little rest. For there was a constant coming and going. They didn't even have time to eat. So they got in the boat and went off to a remote place by themselves. As someone saw them going, and the word got around. From the surrounding towns, people went out on foot, running, and got there ahead of them. When Jesus arrived, he saw this huge crowd. And at the sight of them, his heart broke, like sheep with no shepherd they were. He went right to work teaching them. 
Jesus and his, and his disciples are, are tired. They're worn out. They're exhausted and famished from all of the teaching and ministry that they had been doing. And Jesus proposes that they get away from the crowds, at least for a little while, that they find something to eat and get some much-needed and much-deserved rest. However, the crowds got wind of this, and they and many others go to where Jesus and his disciples are planning to rest, and they eagerly await their arrival. So instead of rest, Jesus and the twelve are thrust right back into the busyness and the craziness of ministry. But our text tells us that when Jesus arrived at the spot that they had planned to rest and saw the crowds of people, he didn't see an inconvenience. He didn't see an interruption. He didn't linger on his own exhaustion. Our text says his heart broke for them. He saw the people like sheep without a shepherd. You see, the presence of Jesus is love and compassion. The presence of Jesus is love and compassion. He longed to continue being in the presence and for his presence to be with them. And so he went back to teaching them. Our story continues and continues to show this amazing facet about the presence of Jesus. Verse 35, when his disciples thought that this had gone on long enough, it was quite later in the day, they interrupted. We're a long way out in the country and it's very late. Pronounce a benediction and send these folks off so that they can get some supper. And Jesus said, you do it. You fix supper for them. They replied, are you serious? You want us to go and spend a fortune on food for their supper? Jesus had evidently been teaching the people for quite some time. So long, in fact, that it was getting late in the day and the people hadn't eaten anything for quite some time. And remember, the disciples, like Jesus, still hadn't eaten yet themselves. They would have been starving. Probably, you know, that, that term, hangry. Ask Tracy about what Pastor Chet is like when he gets hangry. Oh, it, it's intolerable. Well, I would imagine that would be nothing compared to how the disciples were feeling. Disciples were basically saying this to Jesus. Hey, don't you think it's time to wrap things up? Let's land this plane. Send the people off for the night. Send them off to get some food and rest. And let's do the same. We were supposed to take a break hours ago. But Jesus, because his presence is love and compassion, wanted the people to be able to stay. So instead of following up on the disciples' suggestion to send them home for food and rest, he instructed his disciples to provide them something to eat. Let's pull out of our story for a moment and, and think about this aspect of the presence of Jesus. The presence of Jesus is love and compassion. And I think we would all agree how much that is needed today in our world, in our communities, and even in our personal lives. It seems that this past year has highlighted more and more how deeply divided we can be, whether that be along political lines or economic lines, social lines, or even racial lines. True love and compassion begins and ends with Jesus. And it is this kind of love and compassion we all need in our lives. The question I have for us then is this, are you willing to enter into the presence of that kind of love and compassion? Do you want to come to Jesus? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The presence of Jesus is love and compassion. Well, our story continues in verse 38. But he, Jesus, was quite serious. How many loaves of bread do you have? Take an inventory. 
Well, that didn't take long. Five, they said, plus two fish. We haven't yet mentioned how many people Jesus asked the disciples to feed. While this story is commonly known as Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, several of the gospel records note that it was common as, that as was common practice of the day, only the men were counted. So there were about 5,000 men. Now, if we consider an equal number of women and one or two kids per couple, there would have actually been probably at minimum 15 to 20,000 people. 15,000 people who had followed Jesus. 15,000 people who had spent the day listening and learning from him. 15,000 people who are now starving, needing food. And what did they have? Five small loaves of bread, two small fish. Now only John's Gospel notes that it was a young boy who had brought that little bit of food. Perhaps this young boy had heard about Jesus and he was, he was teaching and ran home to his mom to ask permission to follow the crowd so he could listen to Jesus speak and listen to Jesus teach. And maybe his mom agreed, but before the young boy ran off, he, she threw some food into a bag to take along with him, assuming that the teaching could go quite long and the boy would eventually need something to eat. The two observations I want to make from this part of the story. First, even scripture only counted the 5,000 men. Yet it was the boy, the one who wasn't even counted, who had the miracle. The one who wasn't counted was the one who had the miracle. Our second facet of the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus is value and worth. Because Jesus uses those that others don't count. In a world that defined value and worth by gender and race and accomplishment and status, Jesus took none of that into account and brought value and worth to a young, uncounted, unmentioned boy. Our world today defines value and worth in pretty much the same way, doesn't it? We place more value and worth according to society standards, which often includes gender and race and accomplishment and status. Yet Jesus takes those st standards and turns them upside down and declares our value and worth are not based on those criteria, rather they are based on who He is. Psalm 139 reminds us, For you, are, for you created, for God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The presence of, of Jesus is value and worth. So my question for you based on this second facet of the presence of God is this. Why was, it, why was the boy the only one who brought this meal? Why was he the only one prepared to meet with Jesus? And therein lies the question. Are you ready to meet with Jesus? Are you ready to meet with Jesus? Too often we get so caught up and busy with life, with our own priorities, with our own goals, we don't actually settle down and prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts and our minds to meet with Jesus. You see, no matter where you are at in your spiritual journey, have you considered whether or not you are truly prepared to meet with Jesus? Let's move on. Verse 39 says this, Jesus got them all to sit down in groups of 50 or 100. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, lifted his face to heaven in prayer, blessed, 
broke and gave the bread to his disciples, and the disciples in turn gave it to the people. He did the same with the fish. They all ate their fill. Now Luke's account has the disciples dividing the people into groups of 50. Now can you even imagine how many groupings there would have been? Even with a conservative estimate of 15,000 people in the crowd, that would have been 300 groups of 50. Now I have here five loaves and two small fish. That's probably what they had in that day. Now if you were in a group of 50 people, that would mean you would only get maybe a small piece of bun and a few slices of fish for your group of 50, not even for yourself. Imagine you got up late this morning and you missed breakfast before coming to service or watching service online. Now I've been preaching now for maybe eight, 10 hours. You'd be starving and you look at this tiny crumb of bread and a few flakes of fish, excuse me. And what would be going through your mind? Probably something along this line, right? There's no way that's going to be enough, neither for me nor for all of us, right? But Jesus takes what is clearly not enough, blesses it, breaks it, and what in our eyes is not enough becomes in his hands more than enough. Now remember also that even before this boy appeared with the five loaves and the two fish, the disciples were faced on their own strength and with their own resources with an impossible task. Jesus has said, you feed them. But there was no skip the dishes or Uber Eats for the people to call, for the disciples to call. And even if there was, imagine the cost. In other translations or other accounts, the disciples estimate and probably underestimate to be at least a half a year's wages. Jesus was asking them to do the impossible. But time and time again, Jesus takes what isn't enough and in his hands turns it into more than enough. The third facet of the presence of Jesus, the presence of Jesus is power and provision. The presence of Jesus is power and provision. What the disciples had was embarrassingly inadequate. But in Jesus' hands, it becomes excess. How often have we tried to handle an impossible situation with our own resources, our own wisdom, our own tactics? How often have they proven to be woefully insufficient? Jesus invites us to simply turn what little we have, give it to him, step back, get out of the way, and allow him to do his work. If we are willing to submit to him, Jesus takes our woefully insufficient and our embarrassingly inadequate and turns it into gross excess and abundance. The people ate their fill. Now, as a side note, it's interesting that Jesus had his disciples organize the crowd into groups of 50. Again, that would have been 300 to 400 groupings. I'm not sure that there's a clear reason why, but I wonder if it wasn't to simply heighten the anticipation of what Jesus was about to do and have the people gathered in smaller communities to experience what was going to be an amazing miracle. Can you imagine the crowd now in smaller groupings talking amongst themselves? Why are we being gathered this way? Is, what is Jesus going to do? I don't understand what's happening. Then Jesus blesses and breaks the bread and the fish. He hands it to his disciples, who in turn hand it to the people. And they begin to eat, 
and they continue to eat, and they eat some more. Can you imagine the discussion that would have occurred as the food just kept coming and coming and coming until they were all completely satisfied? See, I just wonder if the power and provision of God isn't best experienced in smaller community. So my question for us in this aspect or this facet of the presence of Jesus is this. Are we, are you, willing to give and to submit what you have as little and as insufficient and as inadequate as it might be? Are you willing to give it to Jesus and allow Him to do with it as He sees fit? You see, when we don't have the resources or the strength, Jesus' presence is power and provision if we are willing to give Him and to submit to Him whatever it is we have. And giving Jesus what we have begins by giving Jesus all we have. The entirety of our lives, our dreams, our goals, our priorities, and our resources. Are you ready? Are you willing to give it all to Him? Let's move forward. Verse 43. The disciples gathered 12 baskets of leftovers. More than 5,000 were at the supper. Now, this is typically where we end the story. 12 baskets of leftovers, scraps, crusts, but in our house we refer to as the butt bread and bones of the fish, were left after everyone had eaten and eaten their fill. I think they was all organic material. Why wouldn't they just leave them there? It has always seemed odd to me that Jesus would get his disciples to gather up the leftovers. And, and another question, and maybe even a question we should ask before is, why were there leftovers to begin with? You see, throughout Scripture, we see Jesus, we see God Himself as a God of precision, of exactness, of accuracy. He would have known exactly how much food to even miraculously provide the crowd so that they were all satisfied and perhaps even beyond. And yet it seems like here Jesus uh, provided too much. In my past, I, I worked in the restaurant industry for many years, everything from being a busboy to a cook to a manager. And I know that if I had 12 baskets of food at the end of the day, I didn't plan very well. In fact, I'd probably be in trouble for all the food waste. Now, some scholars have suggested a more theological meaning behind the 12 baskets, referencing perhaps some connection to the 12 tribes of Israel. Others have suggested something a little bit simpler, that there was one basket for each of the disciples to take with them for food as later, kind of a, a Jesus doggy bag, so to speak. Now, I'm not sure, without refrigeration, without other food safety provisions, that I would have wanted to eat the leftovers from a multitude of people the next day. Imagine all the fingers and lips that would have touched that food and you can't store it in ice or in the, in the refrigerator even. I'm not sure that leftovers the next day was Jesus' intention. No, I think there was something much more practical for why Jesus made leftovers and why Jesus had his disciples collect the leftovers. And again, often we finish the story here. But the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, actually the 15 to 20,000, doesn't end here. It continues. Verse 45, as soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida where he, while he dismissed the congregation or the crowd. After sending them off, he climbed a mountain to pray. So Jesus, after this incredible display, knows that the attention is now going to be on him. Now, prior to this, the miracles Jesus performed were on a much smaller scale, 
And there were actually times he told people, don't tell others of what had happened. But now, a miracle of this magnitude, with this many people, would have been impossible to keep secret. So Jesus takes time to prepare himself by being alone on the mountain, in communion with his heavenly Father. But he sends his disciples to the other side of the lake. Question. What did the disciples do with the leftovers? I actually think they brought them along on the boat. Why else would Jesus have them collected? So let's continue. Late at night, the boat was far out at sea. Jesus was still by himself on the land. He could see his men struggling with the oars, the wind having come up against them. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. He intended to go right by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and screamed, scared to death. The disciples, as they crossed the sea, have come upon another powerful storm. They are struggling to keep the boat on track, struggling to even keep it from capsizing. And remember, some of these men were seasoned fishermen. They were very familiar with the sea. How often do we, how often do you feel like your life circumstances are just like that storm. Whether it's a health issue, the loss of loved ones, financial problems, family or other relationship challenges, or whatever, life often feels like a storm, just like the storm the disciples were experiencing. And you might be listening, and you might be going through such a storm right now. You might be listening, and on the outside, you appear to be happy and joyful, perhaps even at peace. But inside, for whatever reason, your heart and your mind are caught up in a storm. Disciples are struggling and Jesus, still on land, sees their struggle. He sees their worry and he sees their fear. So what does he do? He begins to walk out on the water to them. See, another miracle is happening here. Over the waves, through the winds. Jesus is walking over what threatens to take the disciples under. The presence of Jesus is peace, hope, and assurance, even in the midst of life storms. Whatever you are going through, no matter how serious, no matter how even tragic, no matter how hopeless it might seem, Jesus has the ability to walk over whatever it is that threatens to take you under. Now, Jesus comes closer to the disciples. Uh, the disciples look out and see this figure on the water. Not realizing it was Jesus, they thought, they thought it actually was a ghost. They actually become more terrified and literally scream out loud. Now it's probably not a surprise that the disciples thought that this figure, defying the law of physics, walking out on the water, might be a ghost. Just prior to this, Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, had cast a multitude of demons, a legion in fact, from a man and allowed them to go into a herd of pigs. And it was in this very sea where the pigs drowned themselves. So to believe that this figure walking out toward them was a ghost was not un unrealistic. It was the fact that they didn't recognize him as Jesus that is of greater concern. They didn't recognize his face. They didn't recognize his clothes, his walk. But notice that our text tells us that it was Jesus' intention not to walk to them. Rather, he was planning to walk past them. Our story continues in verse 50. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. And as soon as he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They were stunned. 
shaking their heads, wondering what was going on. See, it's only when Jesus calls out to them, when the disciples hear his voice, that they finally recognize him. And when they recognize him, Jesus changes direction and actually comes into the boat. Then, and only then, did the waves and the wind die down. See, originally Jesus came near them, but he didn't come to them. You see, Jesus never goes where he's not invited. He won't break into your life without your invitation. He'll come near us and he'll call out to us in hopes that we will first recognize him and his voice and second, invite him into our boat and into our storm. But that's a step of faith, isn't it? When everything around us screams, do it yourself or figure it out yourself, are you, am I, willing to invite Jesus into our storm and give it all to him? Hebrews tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, in closing, I have two questions to pose to you based on actually what is two stories. First, if you're listening and you've never made the decision to invite Jesus into your life and then begin a journey of life in his presence, can I encourage you to do so? You can become a Christian, a Christ follower, simply by acknowledging your sinfulness, receiving by faith God's free gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ, and then making that decision to live in the ways of God for the purposes of God. Invite Him in, just as the disciples, once they recognized who Jesus was, invited Jesus into the boat and begin to know and experience the presence of Christ. My second question comes from the conclusion of this story. Some of you might be wondering, what about the leftovers? You made a big deal about the leftovers. What about the leftovers? Well, our story finishes in verse 52. They, the disciples, didn't understand what he had done at the supper. None of this had yet penetrated their hearts. In another version, it says, they, the disciples, were completely amazed for they had not understood about the loaves. For the disciples, the solution to the problem of the storm was in the boat with them all along. The presence of Jesus was in the leftovers. You see, during the storm, if the disciples, if even just one of the disciples had looked at the leftovers they were carrying in the boat and recognized it as the presence of Jesus, instead of panicking and struggling, instead of fear and worry, they might have instead said, if Jesus did that, fed the multitudes, he most certainly can do this, save us from this storm. You see, Jesus longs to reveal his presence to us, and many times he does so through what he has already done, so we can fully expect what he will do. Our faith grows and matures each and every time we can say with confidence and assurance, if Jesus did that, he can most certainly do this. So my second question is this. Do you see the presence of Jesus in the leftovers? When Jesus works in your life, do you carry that same peace and assurance into your next situation, into the next storm of life? Or do we, like the disciples, so quickly forget about the leftovers? Jesus longs to be with us, and he longs for us to invite him into our lives. 
The presence of Jesus is love and compassion, its value and worth, its power and provision, and its peace, hope, and assurance. Can I challenge you through this story, this feeding of the 5,000 and this episode on the, on the sea, to invite him and to invite his presence into your life today? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the stories of Scripture which reveal to us who you are, your heart, and our relationship with you. And Father, thank you that this story of the feeding of the 5,000 isn't just about an amazing miracle. It isn't only about the, the love and care that you had for the people. It's not only about you doing a miraculous, defying the physical, walking on water. But it's about your heart. It's about your presence that longs to be with us and that invites us to be with you. Father, if there are those listening today who have never made that decision to follow you, I pray that through this miracle and through a deeper understanding of what your presence really means, that they would make that step of faith and invite you into their lives. And Father, for others who have been Christ followers for a short time, for a longer time, I pray that as you work in our lives, we would take those experiences and bring them into our present and allow our faith to grow and to mature as we trust you more and more each step of the way. Father, thank you for your presence. May we experience your presence this day, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you and thanks for listening.